Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Bear Guys and Tua T Fitness. The Everything Sequel podcast contains explicit language, and I will not go to my room. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Graffiti Bridge Edition for 1990 Single Sequels Part 2. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man ready to glam slam, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hello, Tom. Sexiness to the left of you, sexiness to the right. (laughs) It's all about the pimp sandwich tonight. <laughs> I, 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 I gotta tell you, I'm so excited to talk about this movie specifically with you. Because, <laughs> why? Well, one, you, you have a habit of not seeing original movies, so I was wondering if you'd even seen oh, Pur- Purple Rain. <laughs> oh God, you're all you. You're all over me, aren't you? You, you, yeah. you know. <laughs> and I can't keep anything from you. Of course I haven't well, seen Purple Rain. All right. Of course well, I haven't seen Purple Rain. The, the best part about that is it doesn't matter because we watched Graffiti Bridge. Oh, I, I, I picked that up even without yeah. having seen Purple Rain. I, <laughs> yeah, I that was my next question. Yeah. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine the, the, the film that this would be a sequel to. But I'm pretty sure it's not Purple Rain. Yes, this is something completely unto itself, just with characters (laughs) with the same names. Except the names, except for one character, are all the real people's names as well. So it doesn't fucking matter. That's the, I mean, you know, I may have been at a disadvantage for having not seen Purple Rain, but uh, I, I went in knowing quite a lot about Prince and Morris Day and their real life rivalry and yeah. that was that was just laid bare on screen. Right. You know, they they make cinematic fiction out of uh something that really happened in in music. Well, I mean, let me say that Purple Rain does it much better, I think, but we'll okay. leave that aside cuz we got to cut the head off the snake. And the quotable that I picked, uh I file under lines that um, sound like they would be great song lyrics, but make for terrible movie dialogue. <laughs> and there's a buttload of them in this film. Well, there's a lot to say about <laughs> songs in general and lyrics and the songs in these in this particular movie. So, uh, well, first of all, let's just tell everyone we're continuing with our second round of 1990 single sequels. And we're talking about Graffiti Bridge, which is a sequel to Purple Rain. Unofficial sequel. Unofficial, correct. Unofficial sequel. Now, does that mean, did Warner Brothers make Purple Rain? That sounds right. I think so. Okay. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to figure out what, the I don't un- know why... what makes this unofficial. I get, I, the only thing I could think about was that Prince had enough clout to just do everything on his own. Yeah. I don't know why he would call it an unofficial sequel, but I thought maybe everybody else would call it an unofficial sequel. It's the film Uh, formerly known as Purple Rain. Yes, exactly. 
So this movie has 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, that's just mean. <laughs> you think? Yeah. That's... At, at the very least, you're getting a good Prince concert movie. So that's that's the thing, though. And like, that's, that's the first thing I want to talk about. Of, that's worth more than 18% of anyone's time. All right. Well, I know all it's right. not a time-based rating, but to me, that <laughs> to me that is that that is punitive. Yeah, for what but you're actually getting. But critics are going in to watch a movie, and the one thing I think is that this is not a movie. I, I don't I don't know if I agree with that at all. No, I think this shows. I mean, it, it's. I it's think not... this is a ninety-minute music video. No, I think I think there's more going on than that. I think I think this is surprisingly cinematic for what it could have been. I th- I well, I'll I, yeah, I agree with that. Um and I think Prince as a director has got a lot to offer. I th- I look at that in shot selection and stuff like that. Like what is presented on screen often looks very good. Yeah. But it, to realize- me it's it still looks wanna... like the best quality video ever made. Parts of it definitely do. Yeah. Um, do you realize, I, I, I just only because I've been listening back to our 1990 single sequel episodes over the past uh-huh. few days, do you realize we have the same conversation about every 1990 single <laughs> sequel? <laughs> We basically we basically agree that there's a there's a lot to recommend it, but it's a bit of a mess. Yeah, yeah. we've said that about every single one of these films, mm. and I think that's fascinating because one of the one of the joys of doing a year in isolation is you notice these trends, right? And with 1990, it is it is this kind of inability to package style in a coherent, yeah. Uh, night you know like narrative or feature yeah yeah right every time which is yeah sort of fascinating um that they all conform to that because they're all very, obviously very different movies and on another general note I, I just have to say um i'm finding these 1990 movies very easy to watch yeah um part of it is attached to nostalgia because this for is sure when i this is when I started going to the movie theater. But also so, different nostalgias. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, obviously I'm not at, at you know, um, age eight or nine or whatever. I'm not seeing a lot of these movies. But this is what I remember films being like. Okay. Um. So I get what you mean. Yeah, I get yeah. what you mean when you... Yeah, that makes sense. But that's only part of it. I think more objectively, there is... Uh, there's a warmth to the use of light and color yeah, in the sure. look of these movies, which has vanished from cinema. We just don't mm-hmm. have it anymore. And it's extremely comforting. For um, me, for, uh, well, it's comforting for me, too. I wonder if we're the perfect age for that. or Yeah. But it's got to have something to do with what's been lost in digitalization. It's hard not Maybe. to... Yeah, like the 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 texture of cinema, mm-hmm. the texture of film, um, seems to have, like I'm I'm by no means, you know, anti digitalization. I think right, yeah, you know, but 
I, th- I think you know i think there's been some great movies made in the di- you know with digital cameras sure you know i think you have to be more of an artist to make it work you have to be on the like the level of a david lynch to sort of make it work but i'm by no means against it in principle but i do you know you know even objectively i can say that that it's not as rich it's not as cut it's not as yeah it's not as rich it's not as comforting to look at Mm -hmm. um and that means they're kind of they go down very easy even when the individual quality of the films yeah yeah no yeah so I'm having a, I'm having a good time. I'm having a good time, but it's you know it's interesting because we're getting, when you look back at the sequels we've done and then the sequels we're doing right now, yeah, you know you still have all kinds of sequels. And when you look at like, a Three Men and a Little Lady, that yeah. movie is it's not like the smash hit that, the first movie was. But yeah. that movie did well enough to like warrant a third movie that just yeah. never happened. And often in sequeldom, we talk about the law of di- diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. You know, a sequel that <laughs> that kills the franchise. Yeah. And in Graffiti Bridge, we have a sequel that killed an actor, essentially, because this movie made such a small amount of money, and Prince got so frustrated with how this movie came out. I was reading that he just, other than maybe little bit parts and small things, he, he kind of just stopped acting after this movie. I don't know if if uh, he he directed and wrote this movie and and the idea right. of being of being disillusioned with the entertainment industry is uh, is all through this. So yeah, I think I think that process has already started before he started writing this movie. Maybe if the, con- if the content of it is anything to go by. Well, and you mentioned that he wrote and directed it himself, and uh, sure did. The only other movie that feature-length film that he directed was Under the Cherry Moon. Yeah, and he directed a hell of a lot of his mu- his own music videos. His own music videos, right? So he's he's got plenty of experience to draw on as he's making this movie. It, uh, you know, but and still, by the way, uh, I, I think, I mean, what he demonstrates here, and I'm sh- I'm sure in the music videos he's directed. He understands how to put himself on film yeah. and how to capture the best of his performance style. He captures what makes Prince great on film, directing himself, which is no mean feat. I don't think every music artist can do this. Mm. Um, I've, I, was, I was always impressed. I was impressed both by how he put himself on screen and also how he spread the wealth to other um, other musicians and actors. I got to tell gave, you gave them a is able to bring out the best of them on film as well. Like both yeah. of those things happen in this movie and that's kind of remarkable. You, there's not many, I mean, you know, it's what what it's it's not breaking news to say there's not there weren't there's not many artists like Prince in the world or ever will be. Right, exactly. But from you know, I particularly from this angle I think that is, you know, that is not something he's necessarily given credit for. Mm-hmm. You know, the ability to sort of transfer those skills to film. Yeah. Because we see it elsewhere in his music. You know, he, he wrote songs for other people. He produced other acts um, as well as, you know, as well as kind of uh, being able to um, 
promote him promote himself and write his own music and mm-hmm. perform his own music so it's it's nothing new from prince but he's this film kind of illustrates that he's able to put that uh put that on screen well i think this film also demonstrates the flair of prince there's, there's just he's something. A true artist. I mean, yeah, the, exactly. Yeah, a, tr- a true. And what I a true multimedia uh, artist. Yeah, he's that. And what I find interesting about both this movie and the movie that preceded it is, for a genius, a musical genius, mm-hmm. he spends so much narrative time about dealing with self doubt, yeah, and having other characters talk about specifically about his music. This is more in the first movie, but specifically about, you know, there's a character in Purple Rain that says, kid, you know, the only person that knows that knows anything about your music or or gets anything about your music is you. It's just not accessible to other people. Yeah. And there's a portion of that in this, you know, Definitely. with the yeah. with the glam slam and the the failure and having to come back and just just well, an artist that's, that's like Prince Mar- being yeah. willing to to take that narrative trip to me is very interesting. Not to mention, like you said, his his real life fight with Morris Day. They yeah. were fighting so much at the end of Purple Rain that they weren't speaking to each other. Mm-hmm. So for them to both come back for this movie yeah. to me is interesting. It, I mean, it, it also- says a lot about both both people as artists. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it captures the love-hate mm-hmm. dynamic of their careers, both together and apart. Um, and, you know, knowing that knowing that story anyway only enhanced my appreciation for this film, the, the, the fact that they were able to make a, a fictional narrative of it mm-hmm. yeah. that read so clearly was really interesting. All right. Well, this movie had a budget of just $7.5 million, but an opening weekend of 2.4, and only garnered $4.5 million in the USA and the world. Right. So the audience has spoken, or at least it did in 1990, I was, and nobody I... went to see this movie. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's... It sounds it, like it, we're talking yeah. about this in terms of almost like Jekyll and Hyde. Well, it, it's, it's... I know we're of... going to talk about good and bad at the end of all yeah. of this, but... Yeah. You know, there's... But but it's like you said, with 1990 movies, whether they're good or bad, there's something comforting, and yeah. they go down easy in a way that... I, I you know I'm not surprised I'm not surprised this was a given, fun movie to watch it is given given how for want of a better word arty this movie is I'm mm-hmm. not surprised that it didn't find necessarily find a large mainstream audience yeah where it, where, the, where it doesn't square up for me is that this comes out a year after Tim Burton's Batman right and like I have a, I like I, I could see how a movie like this could ride on the coattails of that success, because he's such an intricate part of it. Because he's such an intricate part of it, because 
this seems to have been filmed on the Gotham City set. Well, it's uh, filmed. <laughs> it's interest. It's interesting. Like what is it called? The... Paisley. Uh, should be in your in your notes in your in your credit check. Oh well, I I didn't notice that. Um, you'll have to check me on my credit check. Um, <laughs> but I I had the note about halfway through that did did he agree to do Paisley Park? That's what it is. Sorry. Did he ag- agree to do the Batman soundtrack for free just so Tim Burton would lend him the Gotham City set to make his film on? Because that's no. As I, as I understand it, as a matter of fact, I think this movie was going to come out a year before but couldn't because of his commitment to batman he had to wait to make it interesting yeah but it's it's this is everything was filmed at prince's home recording studio i pulled a pulled a michael kane there yeah (laughs) totally i am no longer leaving my home to make movies but it's funny because you know, well, William Shatner was the, is another. We we encountered that recently, didn't we? That's think? true. Yeah. Even though the character comes from Iowa, he's in Idaho because Shatner wanted to stay at home and sure. film on his. But rack. that's the thing is, you know, if you watch Purple Rain, it it takes place in Minnesota and it's recognizable as a city. Mm-hmm. This looks like um, a cross between Disneyland and a Dick Tracy set. Yes, <laughs> which came out in the same year, incidentally. Which I don't yes, think that's true. Yes, yeah. And but I mean, it. it but weirdly, it doesn't bump me either. No, you know, there's well, there seems to be no connection of, yeah. to the previous movie. But it doesn't. It it never bothered me for a second. I was I was I I was so pleasantly surprised through what I I constantly was reflecting that this movie doesn't seem to be taking place on planet Earth. It fits the movie that it is, though. Right, right. Because you've got that interplay of, um, like the it looks like the set of a Broadway musical or that you know, yeah right that's what a, it is that's what it looks set, like a stage set that you could put Eddie you could stage all the Broadway musicals on, um, and you know it's playing with that and it's also playing with how Hollywood you know the Hollywood soundstage look. Mm-hmm. So that is, I think, I think it's it's deliberate and it helps the movie rather than detracting from it. Mm-hmm. I, I see that more as into like an uh, an interplay of of imagery than a kind of inconsistency of look. Well, let me ask you this: Do you think <laughs> does it help you that you have not seen the first film, which takes place in this very natural kind of setting, right. real places? not sets and then seeing this movie well, I, I said like Batman it, and Ro- I said Batman and Robin is a good movie so clearly it's not something that bumps <laughs> me when the sequels withdraw into yes. an entirely fantasy world yeah that's true <laughs> yeah it's, it's a, I, I I think I was on I was on board for it because of of what the movie was doing mm-hmm uh, I I felt like I I understood, I understood the production design was a reflection of the movie they were trying to make. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this. Yeah. Have you ever seen a movie do what this movie did in trying to set up the narrative during the credits? 
You talk about the end credits or the titles? The titles. The title <laughs> credits. Both are true. That's true. Um, You're right. <laughs> well, but this is where this is where your argument that this is a ninety minute music video is strongest, I think. Yeah, this feels right. to me like the skippable prologue of every early nineties music video. I bet if you look at the, mm. the music videos that Prince directed, I bet they they all they all begin like this. That's interesting. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't feel like I I didn't feel like there was a narrative until about a third of the yeah. way through. Yeah, that's true. Because nothing is 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 established. It's just kind of imagistically represented. Mm-hmm. And that happens, and then when the same thing happens enough time, you realize that it's part of an ongoing <laughs> you, story. You you say to yourself, "Oh, she's an angel." Well, that's it. When that when that woman dis- <laughs> when that woman disappears like yes. three or four times, disappears and reappears three or four times in a row, it's like, yeah. "Oh, so it's wings of desire." Okay, I get it. Right. She's an earth. She's an earthbound angel. Okay, I get it. But that's a good sort of like. It's half deep hour into, into the movie. The movie. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, but I think there's an you know the the I think the prologue feels skippable, and then immediately they just kind of they they get into they do have like back to back music numbers, right? That kind of just that, that are just so sublime because of the people performing in it and and how well it's how well it's being portrayed. That you sort of that's your buy in, I think. Mm-hmm. And then you gradually realize that there is some sort of a story going on, but we only right. have to refer yes. to it happening about every half an hour. Yeah, right. Like, it's sort of like, there's like literal plot points. There's like points in the movie where the plot is handled, and then it disappears, and then comes back. Yeah, yes, exactly. There's about three incidents in this movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Stringing it together. I, I'm not, I'm not, this is not criticism. I mean, this is the, these are just observations. Uh, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm really not. It, it worked for me. I don't know. It was funny. I, one of the things I wrote, I said, these credits are like an impressionist painting. Yeah. There's, it's, but it's, it's right on the precipice. And this is, you know, this is a period specific thing as well, where like avant-garde cinema and the music video kind of overlap. Yeah, right. There's a little so Venn that kind diagram. Of, that opening, that lightning at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like it, it reminds me both of how music videos used to be, but also like a more avant-garde style of movie that we don't. Yeah, awesome. right. And here's the other thing. I mean, you, we were saying that there isn't, you know, these are very different movies. But one of the commonalities for me is these are all genre movies that we're looking at. Yeah, right. Like this is a this this is a musical. Yes. And it locates itself in the history of that genre. And, you know, we'll go on to talk about the other movies and what kind of genre films they are. But I think that's your anchor as well. Mm-hmm. Is that you have to, you have to read it through, through uh, you know, like a, a movie genre which is typically anti-realist you know, has much more artistic license to do non-realistic stuff. Yeah. And I think that's a big, big reason why this movie kind of works, because you can think about it in the framework of a 
of either a like a stage musical or a a, a cinematic musical because that gives you a lot of right. leeway to to not focus quite so much on story or at least not like well do, don't not, don't try too hard yeah don't like or like not you know not sweat the details of that yeah exactly right yeah so because i mean even you know i was struck by i mean as this i think this is still during the credits there there are interesting things happening in this movie where i think i thought to myself i questioned what is Prince drawing from? Yeah. And what is Prince interested in? Because I think it's during these credits where that there's that pepper eating moment. Well, that and it, seems like pure Dick Tracy to me. Really? Because it, to me, it felt like, I don't know, it, it was it was Dick Tracy, but mixed with like the Godfather and the Deer Hunter, kind of, you know? It's and, like you have you know, all, yeah. well, that's you it. have all the Tracy families the... there, you have all the families yeah. there, you know? Of, but that's of what the Dick other Tracy bars. is. It's, yeah, it's, that's the, true. it's yeah. the most cartoonish version of, of a, like a gangster narrative. Yeah. And I think that's what <laughs> that's what it's going for there. And weirdly, in the same year, Warren Beatty's Warren come up Bra- with the yeah, same, exactly. He's come up with the same concept. A, t- a, 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 a weird note to begin the movie on for me was like, why are we starting with Prince's voice in the darkness? Because mm-hmm. the, the man is notoriously softly spoken and I cannot make out a word of what he just said. <laughs> it reminded me of the uh, the Family Guy sketch with Prince on The Price is Right. Yes, right. 350, 350, 350, yay. <laughs> and that I, I that was the first thing I thought of because I was like, way to start the movie on a what did he just say? Note. Yeah. <laughs> also, how many this is like a how many beans in a jar sort of question. Yeah. How many J's do you think are in the names of the people in the credits? Yeah, right. It's like did he cast based on letters of the alphabet? <laughs> well, and aside from his, himself and Ingrid Chavez, who plays Aura, mm. everybody else is essentially playing themselves, I guess. Well, Mavis Staples is playing a real character. I mean, yeah, yeah it's it's got to be heightened in some way, but their you know their character names are all their real names. Well, I hope Mavis Staples has a better living situation than a character in this movie. That's true. But um, but essentially, yeah, and and George Clinton is literally playing himself. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, the the when you see the credits, you're like, wow. I mean, it's all the heroes of, it's all the heroes of funk and soul. Music. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then some. Um, and you get it. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. We're recording this on GarageBand, and it's like interesting that the one of the first things you see is like a an early version of that really like an apple mac sound yeah right i saw i thought the same thing that prince is working on yeah i thought this is like this is the this is the behind the music kind of aspect of like prince wants you to see into his recording process Mm -hmm. uh, his use of the latest technology and also you know some good product placement it's good product placement but and you know it does the does the other does the other band come in and cause a ruckus at one? Yeah. Uh, that early in the point, like we're at that point, yeah. right? Is this where it's they start the, the fire? One, yeah. Well, they've, his club is van, his club is vandalized a few times in the right. Movie, of course. Of the I'm, movie. I'm trying to think of which one. This yeah. Is, no, though. the one of them happens up top. Yeah. 
Okay. It's that because... sort of... It's like a kind of... This is where... This is like the lynching quality of the movie where mm-hmm. things happen repeatedly. It sort of becomes its own Mobius yes, script right. of storytelling. I don't know how aware of it they are uh, because, you know, they do reuse the shot of Prince flipping up the... The, the door, doors. that's what I was just going to say, yeah. because the trap he door... He does that at least twice. He does, I think, more than twice, I was going to say. Than, yeah, yeah, conservatively twice. Because, um, he, you know, there's something happening with Prince and his character in this movie that fascinates me, because every time he comes out of that trap door, it, he's coming out of that trap door like Alice mm-hmm. walking into Wonderland. Yeah, yeah. And there are moments in this movie where he's looking at characters like, I've got you pegged exactly who you are, and I have figured everything out. And then maybe some goons will come and, like, grab his arms. And and then the look on his face is, what's happening and what's going on to me? Yeah. And I I just, I don't know, there's something in his performance that really tickled me because there was an innocence within it. Yeah. Plus a sage wise man within it. Yeah. And a, I can't believe this is happening to me in it. And yeah, then yeah. like you could get all three of those in a span of 15 to 20 seconds. Yeah. And the idea of, of who someone is, is, is purposefully unstable. Right. Yeah. Which is another, another way in which, you know, you should just, you should just kind of avoid looking for things like character consistency. Yeah, because you're not gonna get it. it. You know the pleasures of this film lie elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I think, but I think you realize that early enough on for it not to be a problem. I'd say, I'd say, I mean, there are some, there are some drawbacks. There are things that the movie narratively promises that it doesn't deliver on. Yeah, and I have a harder time with that, um, like that that uh, expectation versus reality. Um. Because I about the, the film, the the film uh, makes good on about fifty percent of its narrative promises. Yeah, right, right, yes. <laughs> and the and the fifty percent that it that it doesn't follow through on is what I would really like to see. Mm. Um, but we can talk. We we can talk about that. Uh, we'll talk more about as it. We, I'm sure. I just I, I, I keep I also reflecting. Just mention, yeah, I just go ahead. Want to mention yeah in the in the Dick Tracy. Um, hot pepper eating scene, and I think in in his group throughout the movie, one of Morris Day's goons is this Mike McClintock from Veep looking motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> who looks really out of place. I don't know if it's like a Blues Brothers situation where you know the Blues Brothers band don't look like the kind of guys who would be playing blues, right? But you know the proof is in the pudding. When they start playing, you're like, I guess you're, these, yeah. I guess these, these are the guys best are the guys yeah. in the country. But they sure don't look like it. You know, Donald Duck Dunn does. Don't, not I was look just gonna like say Donald blue, Duck Dunn doesn't yeah. look like a Delta bluesman. But I'm like, okay, you know, it works in audio. Um, I also, you know, in the credit for the credits, Prince. Because there's this kind of humble brag, you know, this like this proto version of a humble brag with Prince in this movie. He's constantly sort of like, like understating his importance, and then suddenly he'll do something extremely vain 
that puts yes. all the focus back on him. And the first one is in the credits where, you know, he's, his is the last name to appear on the cast list. But right. when it does appear, he's holding it in his hands. <laughs> so you notice it more than any other name in the credits. And I think that is the definition of a humble brag. It's like a it's like <laughs> humility that redirects the focus to you. Sure. And there's a lot of that in this movie. And basically, that is, that's how he uses Morris Day throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's sort of like... Morris Day's continually opening for him, but Prince is also opening for Morris Day. Yeah. There's like an interplay going on in the movie, which is really fascinating, given what their real-life relationship is, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, Prince made Morris Day, but the two of them found it very hard to work together and and were, you know, deadly rivals. By the way, uh, something that... If if you're interested in this story beyond the, the movie, listeners... Mm. A series I have to recommend to you is season two of Tales from the Tour Buzz, an animated mm. Mike Judge show. The second season is all about funk, and these are anecdotes from music history animated by Mike Judge. And there's at least two episodes on Morris Day and Prince. Oh, that's and great. And you get, you get the origin of Morris Day having a mirror following him around on stage and him doing his hair in the mirror yeah, right. his performance. Okay. And it involves an orange juicer and a titty lamp. So. Let's take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Let's everyone take a break and go off and find that video on YouTube. I'll say. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, watch that and then come right back. We'll be here. Stay away from my juicer. <laughs> what are you doing to my titty lamp? <laughs> All right, we'll be right back right after this. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here trying to make the narrative sense out of Graffiti Bridge. A <laughs> uh, 1990. You know, it's, it's possible. Sorry, sorry. You hadn't even finished. <laughs> so I was just going to say it's a 1990 film directed by Prince. I was interrupting you like it was a David Mamet play. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's um, all right. 
didn't even make it through the first line. Um, I think it's kind of, I don't know, it's possible to, it's possible to overthink how simple this movie is sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, some, like, I feel like I instinctively get it, even though I don't really understand it. Well, it's fun. I was just thinking the same thing, because it's funny that you can say that it is deceptively simple. You know, so much of this movie yeah. does seem simple. And yet we yeah. were just talking about trying to figure out who is this character, what's going on yeah. with, this, you know, the woman. And you t- it takes a half hour to get there. But, well, I remember but you discover supposed- what yeah. you suspected all along <laughs> so you did know <laughs> exactly yeah like this it's alchem's razor isn't it right so right right it's normally, uh, normally the right one and that's what um i feel like that's what you always come down to like uh except when the movie is sort of leading towards something that never happens mm-hmm. i think that's where as i indicated i think that's where that's the only point i really take issue with this movie is that when it doesn't deliver on something it promises. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of having like a, you know, a ridiculously simple story with about three incidents in it. Right. I have no issue with that at all. Mm-hmm. Because of, because of the, you know, what, what this movie brings. The splendor in terms of, spect- of what it does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what it brings in terms of spectacle and performance, I just think is, you know, like, I, so maybe, here's, the- and I, how how much of a Prince fan are you? Because that might I am. affect how much. I'm Me a huge, too. I'm a huge Prince fan. And I wanted to say, though, what do you think of... Look, there's. I don't think there's really any bad music in this movie. But... Mm, no. But there's a few duds. Yeah. Yeah. But the title but, track. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. So... But that's for the end of the movie because we don't get it till the till the end of the movie. They made the right choice burying that in the end credits. But I do want to say that I don't think any of these songs are Prince's best songs. It, yes, exactly. I I'm, and but and also what this movie has to numbers. contend with mm-hmm. is going up against one of the greatest albums ever made. Sure, and but but it's the perform it's the performances that right. It's the it's the way that the the performance is being captured on film with the music, with the dancing, yeah, with the choreography. It comes as a package. That's what I makes think. it so watchable. Yeah, it's not the individual. You like if you turn if you. I'm not you gonna know, be just listening to the songs. Right. So. If I was just listening to Elephants and Flowers, I would turn it off most likely. I don't know if I'd go that far. I think I think the the quality of the music is variable. Okay. And I think there are there are songs that are just trying to get us from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And there are other ones which. Are, but I also I read that. Sublime. I also read that a lot of the music were songs that he'd been tinkering with, but never thought were good enough to put on an yeah. album for like decades, and that rang true to me. Yeah. But I'm so glad you said a, that about the way, title song though. In, in a way though, I mean that this is the perfect vehicle for them then, isn't it? Because you can make them part of a 
an audiovisual package. That you might be. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. And, but so maybe maybe he clocked. You know, Prince is a, is a smart guy. Mm. Maybe he clocked that these songs would work better when married to visuals, and yeah. you know, seen seen as kind of live live performance caught on film. Um. I think. I mean, we've talked a little bit about Prince's Prince's acting. You know, the character is all over the place, but I don't mm-hmm. think that. I don't think it matters. I don't think that's anything they particularly care about. So no, I don't. I don't care yeah. About it. But I gotta say, Morris Day for me is an instant win as an actor. Oh, and he is in the his previous persona, film too. He, He's he so takes, good. He, I mean, he can take his stage persona into his character like a duck to water. Yeah. Like there's the it, there's no there's no bumps on there's no bumps along the way, it just it's just like this is what we know Morris Day to be, and now this is the guy we're watching in the film. Yes, exactly. And that's it. And you yes, just buy right. it instantly. Totally. I think it's. I, I mean, I think he's amazing, but I think uh, he's fantastic, yeah. and I love him with Jerome. Right now, yeah. I have it's to really admit, good double act work in this. Yeah, film, yeah, there's great double act in this in this film and they i mean it's going back to the first film but they 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 basically have a who's on first routine in the first movie oh well that's evident from some of the later scenes yeah. and so they don't they don't repeat that exactly but like you said i think you you could you could intimate that that's that yeah. that's had happened well, they have they have and one 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 or two set pieces, which definitely you would give to the to the comedic double act of the film. Okay, yeah, right, right, right. Um, so this, I mean, this is where we this in, in <laughs> this in the narrative, such as it is, is kind of where <laughs> where I'm I'm kind of set up for something that never happens, which is. Mm-hmm. This is the first time they they lay the groundwork that there is going to be this ultimate musical standoff between Prince and Morris Day. Yeah, I I and, mean, and my... about the third or fourth time of them teasing that, I begin to realize this is never going to happen. But <laughs> I think that it's a bitter I, pill to swallow. It is a bitter pill, but I also think that the movie thinks it delivered it in not delivering it. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Well, because, I, well, I mean, you know, when the, it looks like I also one of my using... notes is just I don't understand the rules of grand, glam slam. Clearly, because even when you, like you the, lose, you can come back. <laughs> it looks like they're going to fight with guitars and samples, and at mm-hmm. that point, I yeah, think, right. I mean, this this is going to be the best musical rumble of all time. <laughs> and then you know, the, and then they. Throughout the movie, they keep they keep reteasing this. Yeah, and then at the end, it's a recon- You know, it's a reconciliation. Mm-hmm. But which, but the, is see, the, this is what yeah. I mean about what I think the movie thinks it does because it has a character, one of uh, uh, you know, a kind of outside the lines character who says, "So the kid did it, and with a ballad." So he's saying he actually won the glam slam, yeah. but that's not what the that that's a subversion of expectations. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's that's poor salesmanship on on this movie's mm-hmm. part. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but you know i i mean a lot i guess yeah i in along the way they certainly deliver but this is something that just seems that the film is so specifically setting up for it and, does, know, it a, does w- feel like this is of, the yeah. this is the one thing they absolutely should have delivered yeah. better and then weirdly they do deliver on the the rap runner yes right you know but after you know once you you sort of think that well they, they that's they've forgotten about that as well and then suddenly in the credits we get the rap that has been teased throughout the entire movie right and then there's a similar thing going on with the kid you know, when dancer Mavis, well when when Mavis Staples first appears in the movie mm-hmm. you go okay Mavis Staples there's going to be an amazing musical number associated with her and then it's just her acting for a while and you think I don't know if she's going to even sing in this movie. Right. Uh, but I'm okay with it because she's actually really good. And as long as I can listen to her voice, I, I, I'm, I think okay. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. But then she gets but an incredible did... number. Right. Probably the best number in the film. And I think Prince knows it because he doesn't do any of his surrealism. I think you like might be right. Yes, I thought I have that puts... note. I thought, I thought the same thing. He puts the camera on her and stays there. And just stay, yes, staples. exactly. You don't want to miss any of it. Um, but anyway, so it's hit, it's hits and misses in that regard, I think. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the graffiti bridge. <laughs> the actual bridge of, with graffiti? The actual graffiti bridge. To me, it's immediately said Brigadoon. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it looked like, you know, in the, the, the Gene Kelly Brigadoon. Like, yeah. it looked like a scene from that, except there's graffiti on it. That's... And I think that's totally deliberate because this is a... He's definitely playing with the imagery of classic musicals. Yes. Uh, like yeah, Broadway yeah. musical on film. Like, there's so much West Side Story in this. Yeah, right. It's like heaving with West Side Story. <laughs> um, and that's another anchor, right? Like, you could sort of follow this through... Well, that's the, the thing. Storyline of West Side I, Story. You know, as I watch this movie... You know, you could watch this movie for 10 minutes and pick 30 different things that you think he might be influenced by. Yes, that's true. You know, including including Madonna's Like a Prayer video. Yes. And also Madonna. It very nearly turns into when that feather drops from the sky. I know. Am I I watching the Like a Prayer video? What's going on? My my note was I didn't know that the Forrest Gump feather had starred in a previous movie. (laughs) <laughs> he got a lot of work in the 90s yeah absolutely <laughs> that reminds me of one of my favorite jokes um at, uh, about <laughs> it's uh, a joke by a british comedian called vic reeves and it's, it's it's not a joke, it's just an observation. It's like, whatever happened to the elephant man? He did that one film and then nothing after that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think we got we got something else going on with the forest gun. Absolutely. Well, you might be um, interested to know, I don't know if you know this, but Madonna I know that Prince approached her for the role. I don't know if she was at one point attached. But she had eventually turned it down. You. He approached her in an alleyway. Yeah. <laughs> because that's, like, if you watch Tales from the Tobas, that's how Prince works. Yeah, right. Like, there's a guy who said that 
he there's a guy who played in the same band as him and he said prince stared at him every single day they worked together all he did was stare at him and then he realized like after two years of this that prince was like i was like grooming him to be a performer but he was just like but the experience of it was you know there's just this guy uneasy in the staring at me <laughs> I didn't realize that's what you were talking about. I thought you were talking about the moment in the movie where Aura wakes up and there he is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have some stuff to say about that, but carry on anyway. You, well, you, all of that I'm, is... I'm interested to know. There's a lot of uncomfortableness, but well, I guess... Yeah. The, the only other thing I was going to say was that she had dropped out or, or said no, and then Kim Basinger was attached because they were dating, and then she dropped out. <laughs> Because they stopped dating. Wow. And then we got Ingrid Chavez. I'd yeah. like to know what I'm you glad... think about Ingrid Chavez. Because um, I didn't find her to be a particularly she's... strong actor, yet didn't no, bother but me. No, it doesn't, ma- doesn't bother me. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Strangely enough, she's kind of the lead of the movie. I know. And she's not really a character. She's just a thread, really, that the mm-hmm. movie keeps pulling. At on first, I thought she was literally in narrative trouble. <laughs> yeah, one of the things very early on in the movie that I literally thought she was was a muse. I thought she was his muse, I and don't I wasn't. Think you're wrong about that. I wasn't sure that people could see her. Then she started talking to people, and I said, <laughs> "Okay, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta reformulate." But, but isn't it entirely possible that that's what she started off as, and then became something yeah, else? Yeah, you're right. You're right. And it and that it all makes sense to Prince that it's the same person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, this is where it, I think it's when when she vanishes and reappears more than once that I know. That's when I she, know. Yeah, other people can see her. Yeah, you know, she's it's not a great gazoo situation. Um. <laughs> yes, my note uh, is so. Aura is then, an actual angel. And he, well, here's an like so the characters are kind of characters like like Aura are kind of anchors because the other one is the kid, mm-hmm. not not the kid. Sorry, the child. But I knew I knew what you <laughs> meant. Kid. Sorry, I know, but it gets confusing because yes, Prince's it, name right. is the kid. Yeah, but there's also a child. But there's also a child, which is amazing to me that even in a movie like this. Sequels, they've got to have their kids. It's like <laughs> Imbas Central. The deeper you go in the franchise, the more kids populate your movie. Yeah, they got to be there. <laughs> and he's kind of a folk. These are like the two focal points that I can see, apart mm-hmm. from the two leads. Yeah. No, absolutely. As far as I can tell. But that was one of those things, because there are moments where I thought, okay, well, that, that rap guy is going to come and help Prince save the day at some point. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, oh no, this kid, this kid is going to help him save the day at some point. <laughs> you know? And like you said, none of those things come to pass, but... Yeah. But they're still there. They're yeah. always... They're st- there's just always something interesting to look at or listen to mm-hmm. in these in this particular movie. And also, this movie's quite quite. I mean, talked a little bit about the the, the comedy in it, but the m- movie kind of uses comedy to sort of ground everything that's happening. 
mm-hmm. like that, like crude sexual humor is introduced periodically to sort of ground us, so that we're not away with the fairies for the entire film. I guess, yeah. But those were I think the you see it sort of strategically thrown in. Those were the only truly harmful moments where I I wasn't enjoying yeah. what I was watching. I absolutely agree with that, but I can see the logic of of throwing in crude humor into a very artsy movie. Yeah. It cuts through the like it cuts through the pretension like a knife. It's interesting though because this movie you know, it, it is an unofficial sequel because this movie is something unto itself. And I right. I thought I I got about maybe three quarters of the way through this movie when I realized or thought to myself, is this movie PG thirteen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I looked it up yeah. and it is. And uh-huh. I thought that in itself was interesting because Purple Rain was when I was a kid, when it came out, it was kind of known as not that there's a lot of nudity in it or anything, you know, but yeah. it's, it's a sexy movie. Yeah. And the sexiest moment in that movie, when Prince and Apollonia are together, like no clothes come off, but it's hot right. and it's steamy. And yeah. there's none of that in this movie. There's a lot of very sexy people. That, there's that. Yeah. But I don't know. It just—it's another turn that this movie decides to take, that see that goes against type for Prince, and I think it just yeah. shows, yeah, more about him who you know, who he is as a person I, than an artist. I, I agree. You know, he's got he he's got more versatility. He's got right. more. But but it's it's kind of what we it's what we realize about Prince now because there's he's one of two or three artists that I can think of. The David Bowie is the other one that jumps to mind. Yeah, right. Who was who could transcend musical genres mm-hmm. and also reinvent him reinvent his persona as he as he went along. Mm-hmm. Madonna as well, I guess, is it up to a point was very was capable of doing that. Yeah. But it's not it's not an inherent rock star thing to be able to do but there are some music artists who are able to do it and i think right. that versatility and it's you know he's all about versatility right because he can he he writes he you know he writes sure. he sings he plays different instruments he can play different yeah, instruments he can, right. he can produce he can write for other people um and you know he can make movies he can make music videos he can write movies so prince is just this kind of all-rounder and a lot of that comes out in this film that 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 he's he he contains multitudes, both artistically and. But what I think is interesting is that the movie itself is such a risk in everything that it does because it's yeah. unconventional. Right. That he runs the risk of people not seeing that. I don't think people took this movie seriously. Certainly, no. the critics didn't. The audiences didn't. But yeah. there's there's. I don't know. It's a, there's there there really is. We haven't talked about this a lot. I don't think before in the past. We talk about the Rotten Tomato meter, and then you say something like, "I think that's unfair," and here's why. <laughs> so, 
But the, that's a really interesting conversation to have. We've learned you know? two things from this. Ep- we've learned two things from this episode. Prince is unpredictable. I am very predictable. <laughs> but I like that. I like what yeah. I what I love about watching movies and then talking about them with you is that you you always know like where to derive pleasure from the movie. If you want a narrative, don't watch yeah. this movie. But don't Unless tell it's me that by J.J. Abrams, then you'll guess it's <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, but that's you know, it's this. You got to meet. You've got to meet the movie halfway sometimes. Yeah, right. And this movie is so deliberate. This movie and, demands and, it. And, and in <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And in, intentional in. In how it, how you know it's 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 asking for you to approach it differently. I, I try to, uh, that's the best way I can. Yeah, right. It. And if you find, but but it's also it's it's Prince, it's Prince's music, it's Morris Day's music. It's got Mavis Staples in. It's got George Clinton. How hard is it to engage with that? Mm-hmm. You're right. I don't find that inaccessible, right? And a, there's a lot of movies that are as as impenetrable as this that don't have those fringe that don't have those things yeah right (laughs) yeah so that makes me sort of think like you know that people need to try a little bit a bit harder and you know it's you've got to at least be appreciating the the talent that that prince is that comes to bear yeah yeah and but I guess also that can prejudice you and making you think this is a better movie than it is because it has it has huge flaws and it's not all of its project works. No. And it's often difficult to see what its project is. So that, and that's frustrating. I get that. Mm-hmm. But there's so many like there's so many buy ins again and again. Sure. That make you want to reinvest in the movie, even when it starts to alienate you. <laughs> it could be, it could be the smallest thing too, Tom. At one point, yeah. I said to myself, "Is that a giant Crisco bottle in the background?" Guy playing a Game Boy. I'm yeah. back in. <laughs> exactly. Why is that in the movie? Why? Talk to me, please. <laughs> My favorite thing was that I discovered on a close-up 20 minutes after I thought that about the Crisco bottle that it's a Crisco bottle. I don't know what that is, but I like seeing it. (laughs) But also, I mean, you can't underestimate someone who is known as a music artist. Like, Prince as a visual artist really shows up here. Yeah. Like, his use of color is fantastic. From someone who's not... Right. Doesn't have a background as a film director. He's able to use color in a way that reminds me... in a And you've said it already, like, impressionistic way. Yeah, right. Which harks back to the, you know, the, the, the Hollywood filmmakers of the 50... Of the 40s and 50s. Um, like a, you know, like a Nicholas Ray or Otto Preminger and how they use Technicolor. Like... Yeah. Like, it's not... Like, I, I don't think you can un, un sort of, like... It, this isn't guaranteed when music artists start to direct and control their own work. Mm-hmm. Like, it, the, the, it's definitely more than just a vanity project. Even though superficially, that's what it appears to be, because he's doing every... He's right, in the movie, yes. he's writing, he's act, he's writing, he's directing... It's all his, it's his music. Mm-hmm. It's it's the acts that he produces are in the movie. <laughs> yeah. 
So it seems like a... But there's way more to it than that. It's a genuine artistic endeavor, and it deserves a lot of credit for that. I agree. I I, I would say. All right. Um, Maybe we should take another uh, break. Sure. <laughs> or do you have more? Uh, no, I... I, I <laughs> my very next note is... Uh, you, you've been previewing it for a while. Uh, the bad part? The bad part, yeah, so... Well... I think... I think that note of positivity. Yeah, let's end here, and then we could start with the 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 bad part and and finish high. Yes. All right. I agree. Let's do that right when we... and be carried off like Jesus. <laughs> exactly. Right after this, we'll be right back. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. Here we are, back as promised. Tom and I are finishing up with Graffiti Bridge, the 1990 movie with some bad parts. <laughs> We'll get that. I think we have the same bad parts. Yeah, it was it was a uh, it was, you know that the one of the reasons it really struck out. What are your bad parts? Yeah, <laughs> one of the what reasons. What are the bad parts in your life? It stuck out like a sore thumb for me is because it was such a bummer, in an otherwise whether I was okay. watching something we, good or bad, I was yeah. interested. We got to get specific. Yeah, for me, it's the date rape threads. Yeah, that's it of exactly. The, of the scenes involving uh, Morris, Morris Day taking Aura, Aura, yeah. specifically feeding her lots of alcohol. Yeah, and I wasn't even sure if Jerome, because he's underneath the table. I don't know how. I don't. I don't think this bit or this gag was nearly as funny as the movie seemed to think it was. Yeah, right. But him being well, he's no, it's not because it's basically it's like a. Um, it's like a high maintenance version of slipping a Mickey. He just keeps subbing out the wine. Right. Well, and I couldn't figure out was he putting something in the wine? Quite possibly. Was that part of this? So it was ugly enough to begin with. Could have been uglier, but I'm not sure because the <laughs> movie's not sure. It just feels like something that Bill Cosby would write into a film. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then um and it sort of it lingers for a while yeah it goes on for mid, a good at, 10 minutes 
And then in the middle of it, or there's even... a very homophobic, a very homophobic scene. Yeah. Involving Morris and Jerome, and Jerome. where they accidentally start uh, making out with each other, and then and they it's realize the light that... that comes on again, like. Yeah. And they play it well. It's funny. Mm-hmm. And they're performing it in that sort of knowing way that is, you know, shows that they're, they're on it comedically, but. But I also am yeah, not sure the, that the that last of... moment is nearly as funny as they think it is. The drawn out pass out. Sure. And then and then but then it's weird because it's almost like the it's almost like a kind of. Predatory section of the film. Because it is suddenly because Prince's the hero, the hero comes in to save her, but then is also a predator. But we'd never see this before again, before or again. Yeah. I mean, they have their like. They have their like Butch and Son, you know, like their Butch Cassidy romantic montage, right? Earlier in the movie, so there's no indication that he's got this kind of sinister, predatory um, dimension to him. It suddenly comes out when he starts doing that hangman. Yes, yeah, and it's like you know he's it's sort of like if so, if, a, if a guy st- <laughs> here's the thing like se- sex sexual I know exactly sexual where you're going P- sexual assault PSA for you yes all. if a guy sits beside you in bed starts doing a hangman and the word and the words are you're mine yes right get, get out of the, the room. fuck out of the room call that domestic abuse version of nine one one and get out of there. And it also felt, you know, I'm your savior because I got you out of that bad situation. Now you're mine. Right. Not good. Yeah. So it's almost like, like it's not character based because these people aren't acting in character. Well, not the They're character just... of this movie, but. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. So it's it's almost just like it's 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 the theme of the movie for a while. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like everyone turns into a sexual predator in this, in this, <laughs> yes. in this section of the movie, yes. and that's why it's so. That's why it's even more disturbing. And the other uh, thing is that it's, it's all being played for comedy, and a lot of it's being we're, played. We're for We're supposed comedy, to be yeah. thinking mm-hmm. this is funny, or sweet, or yeah, or, right, or part of part of a normal relationship. Mm-hmm. That's uh, yeah, absolutely. Because well, it, we also know, have because we have. It's interesting how reality comes out suddenly in this film because there's a there's a also a scene soon after this where Morris talks about his poor background and that's well like why he's so obsessed with getting his right, money. Yeah, is because the background he comes from when that's you know it's never guaranteed that he would ever have money, so he's not going to let anyone off the hook. Right, giving him what he's owed, and it's like, it's like. That even in this fantasy movie, it comes with an understanding of what, what like a black artist in the music industry must encounter every day. It's like you know, right, right. I've got to get paid. These people are out here to screw me, mm-hmm. and they're they're going to screw me more than more than most. Yeah, other right. Artists yeah, because I'm black and because I come from a poor background. So it's weird, <laughs> in a sense. Like you can actually infer a lot of what is going on in the real world. Mm-hmm. Even in this sort of fat, largely fantastic movie, <laughs> you know, I mean, fantastic. I in, know what you mean. <laughs> in terms of fantastic voyage, not yes, not uh, not Christopher Eccleston's Doctor Who fantastic. Yeah, it was. Um, it was like kind of 
letting an air out of out of a balloon. <laughs> yes, it very much. You is. know, I <laughs> it's really interesting. I was starting I mean, to feel go, go. deflated as you know because it's a good solid. It's yeah. weird too because you have the Morris Day scene and you have Prince <laughs> save slash kidnap Aura. And he, he takes her to his place. He re-kidnaps yeah, her. Yeah. Yes, he does. He takes her to his place. <laughs> and, and he and in between the date rape scene and then his waking her up in a new rape scene, you have his <laughs> fantasy Jesus. moment. And it's them, yeah. you know, frolicking and playing guitars, I think, right? Oh, this is when it happens, isn't it? This is is this when it's it like happens? A, oh yes, the silent frolicking montage. Yeah, right. It's yeah. like the 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 fantasy video for for kid and aura. Yeah, yeah. On a Majesty's Secret Service or Butch Butch there you and Man's kid, you know they've got these these sequences in them. Yeah, it's it, and in the middle of it is something which speaks to your earlier point about you know how the you can't keep track of how much and what specifically Prince is referencing. Mm-hmm. Dueling banjos makes an appearance. Yeah, I know. And I mean, it, I feel it feels like literally he like he went through the sound library at Warner Brothers and it's like, what is licensed music? What can I use? Can we devise a bit around this? Right. Sure, put it in the movie. Like it seems that's how it, it is sort of like, you know, you, you're you're sort of like. It's like practical intertextuality, is it? Is yeah, like, that's the thing. Is the that library that we can put in the movie when it starts? You you half expect to hear, but the bam 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 bam, you know, because you yeah. have no idea what Prince is going to draw from. Yeah, you're like, sure, why not? Deliverance. Yeah, go it's, ahead. <laughs> it's a it's a Warner Brothers movie. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Do you know the history of the Prince symbol that later became his name? Because he's wearing it on the back of his jacket in this scene. Yeah, because I think it's even... And it's like three years before he changed his name? Well, I I think it's on the motorcycle in the first Purple Rain movie. Okay. So he's been... It's been around. Okay. Okay. I wondered whether this was the debut of of his his new name. I'm pretty sure. I, I think I'm right, but I'd have to look at some pictures. I think the way that he represents people in the music industry is essentially gangsters. Yeah. There's a pretty clear indication that he's starting to get quite disillusioned with the music business. Right. Imagine... And the sort of... The the way that everyone's drifting from him to to other clubs. That's the other thing that I think is interesting about this movie, you know? Anybody can show up at anybody else's club and play. (laughs) Well, that's... Yeah. But that's the musical. That's, that's the, the yeah, exactly. Musical, yeah. But but he's he's just seemed to he like, and I can say this because he directed and wrote this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever's in there is is what he is what he really thinks. Like I get a yeah, sense right. of I get a sense of how he feels underappreciated as an artist compared to others. Well, and I also think part of it. I think I remember reading that. Again, the humble brag, right? Yeah. I mean, nobody pays attention to me. I don't know that there are, <laughs> I don't know that there is another, another music writer as prolific as no. Prince and Dolly Parton. Like, those are the two that I remember. These are the two that, like, are constantly yeah. writing songs. And from what yeah. I understand, Prince, if he had his way, would have put out three albums a year. 
That's how much he was writing. And the label Mm -hmm. wouldn't let him. Mm -hmm. So the gangster aspect of of the music industry, I think, is is born within that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that was the the the, the impetus behind the name change, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So he could he could he could do get, what he wanted. He could he could do what he he could get independence from the yeah from the people who uh, he was under contract with mm-hmm. as Prince. Yeah. Um. And we're about two thirds of the way into the to the movie, and this is where the this is one of our plot points. Yeah. When Aura says, you know, I'll make him stop. And you realize Well, referring that... to Morris Day. Right. But this is where I first... It's first really confirmed on screen that she has an objective, which yes. is to <laughs> redeem him um, and bring them both together. I guess that's never stated, but that's what I'm Yeah, and it's, you know, there's the... So it's kind of a three... And then it goes straight into a musical number. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. think about that. It's kind of a three-pronged <laughs> thre- thing of making Morris Day stop Making Prince oh go on, even yeah, if he's doubted or fail, an failed, yeah, and then bringing them together. Clarence had one thing to do, and he struggled with that. And it's a wonderful life, so <laughs> just just focus, you know, yeah, just focus on the one task. You confused me there for a second because Clarence William the Third plays his father in the first movie. <laughs> no, I'm clearly talking about Clarence the Angel from It's a Wonderful Life. Um, this number, and and then straight after that, Morris Day has a number. I didn't write down what it is, like a musical number, but it's very. It's like one of the weakest in the film. Oh, okay. And it comes right before a really good Prince number, so I think this is where, like, sometimes is it the where some, is it where we think we're getting the 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 battle? Is it one of the times? Is it yeah. Prince's fireworks show? That the one before uh, yes. that? Okay. Yeah. 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 And and you realize that he's essentially opening for Prince, and Prince has the better number. <laughs> yeah. And so but the movie treats likes... it like he has the weak number. Yes. Yeah, but the truth is clearly the opposite. Again, <laughs> it's a humble brag, right? It's it's the classic. Um, I think it's called the shake, or they do shake. The shake, yeah, yeah, because Prince does tick tick bang. Uh, yeah, and then there's you know there's another so again like even in a fantasy world the internal social distinctions of black culture are still running rampant because mm-hmm. <laughs> Morris's Morris's previous girlfriend sort of says. He calls her a half and half. Calls Aura a half and yeah. half. And it's like funny. It's funny that she's an angel. This isn't the real world, and yet you know the real world keeps intruding in on right. these, these right. moments. Um. And then oh, there's another very weird sequence here. The the sort of strobe lighting rap striptease. Yeah. Right. Which then turns into a commercial break. Wait, am I forgetting like he something? Says, Morris says we'll be back after these. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I had um, a I had a thing I wanted to ask you about Morris's club too, because okay. did you did you think ever about another Forty Eight Hours, another nineteen ninety single sequel? Because I thought, oh my god, we have more cage dancing. Well, spoiler alert: we got the two Jakes coming up, and. Yeah. <laughs> 
a lot of this movie looks like it exists in 1948 Absolutely. America. <laughs> Specifically 1948 Los Angeles. <laughs> I guess this, like, the style of this movie is caught between the contemporary and then interwar America. Yeah. Like, everything is a hybrid of those two two things. I don't know if that is just the fashion. I was going to say, is it? I think, it, I, I think it's just funk the... funk and R&B. Well, maybe. It felt more like the fashion to me. Retro. It felt more like the yeah. fashion to me, but... And, you know, just as a sort of musical history aside, this movie reminds me that Prince and Morris Day are the missing links between funk and R&B. Uh, funk and R&B. Mm. Like, they've got a foot in both yeah, worlds. Yeah, sure. Like, they're looking back to George Clinton's Funkister and James Brown and, you know, that kind of era, but they're looking forwards to groups like, you know, Boys to Men and, you know... Sure, yeah, um, okay. MC Hammer. Like, it, it, it's sort of... It's really clear to me, it's like, that that this is a precipice moment for music, for black music. Mm. Well, not just black music, but American music. Um, and they're right on the cusp of both waves. It's really interesting. And you wouldn't know it if you didn't watch Graffiti Bridge. I, 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 know I wouldn't know it. I wouldn't know it same. no matter what, because I'm not as music savvy as you are. But you, I mean, but it makes sense. Of, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like they're able to they're able to exist in both worlds, yeah. and then Prince will go on to be like a you know a, a top selling R and B artist after this point. Mm-hmm. Like, one of his personas is that. But up until that point, he'd been a kind of electro-funk um, sort of prodigy. It's, it's just mm-hmm. fasc- it's fascinating. And Morris, Morris Day looks like Little Richard. Yeah. But his music sounds contemporary. Yes. It, it's, fascinating. it's just a fascinating kind of hybrid of styles. Um, I don't think they use George Clinton properly in this movie, though. So having said having said that, because he appears at the beginning, and you see him during one of his performances, and you're like, okay, great, you know. And that's George it. Clinton's in this movie, and that's it. The next time you see him, he's he's selling out. He's selling out to Morris Day. Yeah, right. And you know, in between, you've had Mavis Staples. Well, like, and it's really confusing when he's first playing because yeah. I didn't realize that he was playing in his own club. I thought he was at. The yeah, kids. Clinton's. I would thought he was at the kids' club. Well, how, I mean, how was many there an establishing shot? <laughs> I don't know. How many? How many? No, this movie doesn't do establishing. I didn't think shots. so. Um, like how many clubs per square foot? Do you oh think yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just one, they're all just on one street. They're uh, they all managed to be on one corner. <laughs> yeah, and all all sort of like adjacent to an alleyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like very early on in this movie, there's a, like a, an alleyway shot and I'm like, I thought like, I don't know where I am in the world of the movie, but I know when this movie was made. <laughs> <laughs> like we could be in a Tim Burton film, yeah, we could right. be in a Michael Jackson video, but it's definitely 1989 to 91. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Um... And yeah, then we we talked about the Mavis Staples number, which is just great showmanship, and yeah, you know, and he and he restrains himself from from, from uh, being meddling artsiness, mm-hmm. yeah, from directorial meddling, which is the right call, yeah, and it's a good director's call, you know, that's the job of direction too. Is what to do you make of this time. narrative point of him doing tick tick bang, losing apparently the glam slam, but being able to come back? Mm. 
and Aura, like the bit about the car accident. No. Well, I was going to say before the car accident that, you know, this bit of trying to get the kid to keep going. Hmm. Because there's no sense of the kid in any portion of this movie that he's not going to keep going. Right. Well, I guess there's yeah, one moment. There's... But again, it's like he, but he does. He sort of says, I'm going to, I'm going to give it all up. But then they continue to vandalize his club, which seems like a waste of, of <laughs> right. like, manpower. Right. It's sort of like, he already, he's already closed the club. Why would you vandalize it? And I guess that starts, you know, that like, you know, it, it's sort of like poking the bear and that makes him want to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very confusing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, there there is at least that. Well, I don't know. I, I'm, that's, I, I think I'm doing most of the mental gymnastics there. I don't think right. that that's actually in the movie. <laughs> but but what what's great, I think, about when the car accident comes in, it's like all these questions just become subject to a like a, a really blatant piece of melodrama yes, that just kind right. of swoops in and takes over the movie. And then it sort of becomes like the end of West Side Story or, or a less realistic do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's even, like, to, again, just to, just to make it a triple reference, the one of the runners in the movie is like a digital sign. Yeah. A digital scrolling sign that says it's just around the corner, mm-hmm. which I've got to think is a Scarface reference. You know, the the world is yours sign. Oh, yeah. In the original. Yeah, well, yeah. I only know the original Scarface. I don't know. the. I think it's in the De Palma one, too, but I don't know that as well. Okay. Um, so it feels it's like a very Hollywood moment mm-hmm. in the film, like a recognizably. Yes, very. This could be this could be in like a musical. I half expected or... also the body to disappear. Like I wanted well, it's a. Disa- it's already disappeared several times. That's true. Yes, and reappeared. Maybe that means. Maybe if you saw that, you think it would more li- likely to reappear. Mm-hmm. The fact that she doesn't disappear is a sign she's actually dead. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's like right. the op- the opposite of Yoda. Mm-hmm. Is like, how do we know that that she's dead? She doesn't disappear. You have to burn her. <laughs> it's funny narratively the effect it has on every single character. Yeah, well, I mean, that's but that's it's that's what it's in the movie to do. Uh, yeah, no, it? yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's a catalyst, and I think they're pretty upfront about it's just a brazen attempt to play on your emotions, mm-hmm. on the emotions of the people in the movie, sure. and it works. Um, and you know that it's it's funny because even though I'm hugely disappointed, we don't get this musical showdown. That could have been a great finale for the movie. Watch the first movie. Oh, you get it in there. Yeah. Oh, then, then it's an inversion. <laughs> um, still disappointed. I mean, you know, still seems like a waste. But in 1990, I do think there is a lot of value in the message of this movie being: let's choose a path of reconciliation and nonviolence. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Time of great social conflict. The message, this message matters outside the world of the movie. Sure. So I'm glad they went down this route in a political sense, just not the entertainment value is <laughs> not as strong as it could have been. Well, I mean, you no, know, sorry, I was just looking at a different note. I was looking at. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, what I'm saying is laughable, but but in a different, yeah. in a different way. Um, and then Prince gets carried out like Jesus. He sure does. Um, uh, he's not a modest man. No. But but he, well, it's, he's kind of like modest and self-effacing. He's not. He's 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 kind of self-effacing. That's why I think this movie self-effacing is interesting. Vanity. Yeah. <laughs> This is that's, that's, that's he's like a self-effacing vanity. That's why it's I like think a, these couplet of movies it's a are look interesting. At me, don't look at it's a look at me, don't look at me dynamic, mm-hmm. all the way through his career, and it's the same here. It's sort of like I, you know, he spends the whole movie saying I'm not important, and then he get and then he ends up being carried out like Jesus, and you're like, because, well, you know, getting a mixed message here. Yes, yeah. I, I, you know. Well, I'm loath to to bring up Bill Cosby again, but I remember his old bit about Adam and Eve, and Eve was saying, "Come here, come here, come here, come here." No, get away, get away, get away, get away. But it's kind of that's like that. Uh, that's taken on a new meaning in light of, <laughs> in light of historical events. You're right. Oh no, it's all tainted. It's all, it's tainted. all terrible. Oh my god! I tell you, since since I mentioned since I mentioned Bill Cosby. All I've been thinking of. Fuck. Full, full Fuck. disclosure. First, full disclosure. Mike and I went went to the movie theater to see a re-release of Superman Two. Yes. In the past week, and when you see Superman Two on the big screen, <laughs> that background detail of the Bill Cosby picture, man, does it stand a out? Prominent, <laughs> a prominent feature of the frame. <laughs> And you realize what a big part of the shot it is. Yes. <laughs> oh. I like that, you know, there's a lot of schmaltz. It's quite schmaltzy at this point, And then Morris Day does that sort of, like, then starts complaining about people. His, his bit. Part. Yeah, that's funny. I, I th- again, that's a good good example of how this movie uses humor to sort of undercut the, the pretentiousness of, um, of some of its content. Right. Uh, and, and then the rap finally happens. Yes. Um, film makes good on one of its narrative promises in the closing <laughs> in, credits. Of the in the last minute. Yeah. Well, uh, but then we have. I so the reason I was laughing a little bit earlier because my last note hmm. is, "Graffiti Bridge" finally plays, and it turns out it's the worst song in the movie. Yeah, and. I feel bad because Mavis Staples. I don't know if I if I if there is a bad Mavis Staples song, but this is as close as mm-hmm. as close as it gets. It's a stinker. Yeah, it's a bummer. Um, it really is. <laughs> but at least he's got the good sense to bury it in the credits. True. I mean, may, again, maybe it's like if you say that the, this film is full of a lot of you know songs that he was noodling about mm-hmm. with and never really finished or couldn't get right. Maybe you just like the title Graffiti Bridge, not the right. Song yeah, yeah, wrote. totally. <laughs> because it's a gra- Graffiti Bridge is a great metaphor for the movie, and it's a good, like you know, the, the it's a location that ties the yeah, movie it together. is that right. I guess. Well, you don't really. You also don't really need it. Um... <laughs> yeah, but if I mean oh, early, I don't know. <laughs> early on, it feels except that she seems to live under exactly, that bridge, like, like early on, it feels like the place she materializes at, like a troll's too. Yeah. She comes <laughs> over under the bridge, troll too. God damn it, trolls too. Troll too. <laughs> Another nineteen ninety sequel. Yeah, 
But there's, I mean, uh, and that's something we didn't mention as well, and you know, shouldn't be shouldn't be uh, underestimated is the sort of there's a fairy tale quality to this. Oh, oh yeah. They there's also they 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 take um, aspects of Shakespearean plays. Mm-hmm. There's some Midsummer Night's Dream Absolutely. in here. They queen quote some of the verses. The you know the first face, the first yeah. face she sees. Uh, again, I'll fall in love with, with yeah. It sort of takes the date rate quality of that and transfers <laughs> yes. it onto a modern property. Um, so, you know, just this, there's so much going on referentially and elusively in this movie. It's almost hard to keep track of. Yeah, oh, it is. And it's coming from different, all different kinds of media and different kinds of culture, mm-hmm. and it's just sort of. Sometimes it is just rapid firing at you. Yeah, it's like it's a it's a genuine tapestry, you know. It, it, it's it's sort of woven together from from disparate disparate. Parts yeah, exactly. Into a whole. Uh, some mostly success, but I mean, mostly uh, yeah, successfully. For, for... It doesn't doesn't feel incoherent. No, in, or like excessively incoherent it... for the kind of movie it is. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know. It's it's. I could see somebody saying that it's incoherent. Yeah. But I wouldn't agree with it necessarily. You know, I don't know. There's just. I see. I think I think Prince is the kind of guy if if, when he's writing a film, if he had if he first of all, if he'd lived and just still kills me to say that. Um, But. If you know, if he had lived, and he was—well, I guess he lived to the age where they had screenwriting software. True. I think he's the kind of guy who would like use screenwriting software and and just fill in the gap. You know, like he'd create a screenplay with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then just fill in the gaps with his nonsense. Because <laughs> that's what this feels like. It's like a really yeah. What he did he's was he's got the basic back. He's got the basic background of a classic screenplay. He wrote twenty five pages of a script, and then ballooned yeah. it to ninety pages. Yeah, with his nonsense. Yeah, but those twenty five pages was like ten pages at the top. Yeah, ten and yeah. like five in the middle, and another another ten at the end. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, and in between is just you know. It's just filled it with stuff, with mm-hmm. print stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think he's the, he like the kind of person who appreciates structure and um, and restraint where it's needed. But he can also go, or clearly also go off the deep end sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, you know, it makes for... You can't, because you wouldn't be a fan of those kind of, you wouldn't be able to go back to those kinds of classical texts right yeah yeah if you weren't if you didn't have some sense of structure and like narration and it is there so you know it makes for an interesting watch it does yeah Yeah. and i don't know it's 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 very i don't the, the the control experiment would be if you're really not into prince would you would you be able to stomach this movie? I suppose as as a, as a film, um, because that's what carries me through a lot of the time. Mm. So I don't I don't quite know how objective I can be. You know, would this? I'm trying to think. This was Ken, like a Kenny G <laughs> vehicle. 
<laughs> that hit all the same notes, but contained the music of Kenny G. Right. And, and you know, was as skillful, like, made as skillfully as this <laughs> to enhance and capture the music, the, the of, music Kenny of Kenny G. The music of Kenny G. But if you take, you know, it's like, wh- whatever. Probably the not X as many hard is, cuts. <laughs> for 90 minutes uh, by the way and this is what makes me think that so by the way i got a comment on that this film is exactly 90 90 minutes, minutes to the yeah right and that's not an accident no. this is what i mean this is why i suspect that prince is you know he likes he likes the rules he likes conventions sometimes mm-hmm. he i think he set out to make a 90 minute movie and he made it happen I agree. Come yeah, on, man. That makes sense. What about a credit check? Well, we've we've covered some of it, which is that you know they buried away the the worst song in the movie, <laughs> um, and the rap finally happens over the closing credits, of course. Yeah. Hair extensions by hair police. Oh, I missed I that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that a government agency were involved in the making of this film. <laughs> I wonder if it's the same as the World Police. Um, we get to see the second half of the striptease that was yeah. So you know it's that like was more cut sh- out. showman. Yeah, it's like more showmanship, right? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like it's like here's a titillating sequence that we cut away from, but if you stay to the end, <laughs> you'll get the rest of it. Uh, although it does end with Morris turn off the light, so right, yeah, it kind of ends in the same fashion. I guess that's the P- that's as far as you can go in PG thirteen. Um. Aside from ripping out a human heart. Um, <laughs> George Clinton's Funkestra. Yes. W- within the names of the people in his band. Three cities, one town, a doctorate, several one-word names, and then just a guy called Patrick Adams. <laughs> Most normal name in the world. Um... And then, yeah, the, my final credit check note is about the uh, the final, um, it's not a quote, of what, what would you say, like epitaph of the movie? Mm. May you live to see the dawn. Yeah. Prince was a pioneer of tech speak even before, before right? there was phone yeah. messaging. <laughs> they, they got the U, the U is a U and the, and the two is and Absolutely. the two is a digit two. He's taken that "I would die for you" trick. As if, as if he hasn't done enough, he also invented text speak. There you go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's Graffiti Bridge. You're gonna have to tell us what you think. Yeah. First, have you seen it? Your guess, your guesses are as good as ours. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I did too. But my big takeaway is that I'd watch it. I'd sit and watch it again. Yeah, I think I would too. I think I'd get more out of a second watching. I think I'd get less, but I would still enjoy it. You think? I don't think there's much. I don't think there's much to get. I think a lot of it is smoke and mirrors. Okay. Well, I but I spent the first, like you said, like the first half hour. Sometimes literally trying to figure st- some stuff out. So I would, you know, I th- I felt like a lot of it was washing over me as I was trying to decipher different yeah. codes for the movie. So that's true. So Sometimes I figured I, if I could just, yeah. you know, just sit and breathe. Yeah, through. yeah, yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, I un- I understand that. But I was <laughs> I was also like <laughs> like you know where <laughs> I was talking when I said smoke and mirrors. I meant in in the sense of you know smoke screens. And, yes. And you know uh, funhouse mirrors. But there's also fun houses, but there's also a lot of smoke and mirrors in the yes in the movie. <laughs> Absolutely. As as props. All right, ladies and gentlemen, tell us what you think. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everything sequel at gmail.com. If you haven't joined the Patreon yet, what are you waiting for? You get no. bonus episodes, so check in with Patreon. And uh, we got we got plenty of stuff for you already. One day, I guess, we'll do Purple Rain. Someday. Someday. Someday you'll have to watch it, finally. <laughs> don't, I don't feel like I have to watch it. I just, you know, I get these assignments. <laughs> and sometimes I haven't done the pre-work. <laughs> Love that. Just have to go in cold. There you go, yes. Uh... What else? By all means, if you're listening to us right now, then rate and review us. Yes. Let us top charts, please. It really helps people find the podcast. So do that. Yeah. All right. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. When you hear us next time, oh, friends, we're on the case. The two Jakes. We got Jakes. Yeah. Two of them. That'll be next time. All right. Say goodbye, Tom. Damn, I didn't get a chance to rap. <laughs> One of this movie's few runners. Yep. Good times. <laughs> start, to, start to finish. <laughs> it does it literally followed, followed run a... <laughs> the movie. This, this, uh, this idea really ties the film together. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, everyone. Take care.